and welcome to Gloucester Vineyard Church's weekly podcast. We're creating a community that brings hope and joy to Gloucester, and we're thrilled that you've downloaded this message. This week, in our journey through Matthew's biography of Jesus' life, David unpacks chapters 17 to 20. Diving into the concept of an upside-down kingdom and what community looks like that's focused on Jesus' teachings of throwing off comparison and pride and trading it for a life of humility. Now this audio was recorded outdoors, so please do enjoy the additional bird songs throughout the message. So, without further ado, here we go! Now if I said cycling or cyclist, probably a few words that come to your head. Tour de France, Lycra, a midlife crisis, there's annoying commuters that block up the road. And in 2012, there was a massive increase in cycling across the nation. And also there's been a massive resurgence lately since people discovered there was nothing new on Netflix and there's a world outside and you couldn't get a bike for love and money. Now for all that cycling is a great sport and keeps you healthy, I don't think any of us would really be fit enough or fast enough to win a traditional bike race. But the Dutch have invented a bike race called Slow Race and the last across the line is the winner. Yeah, in this race, the person who comes last has technically won and this has flipped the concept of what a race is on its head. Now, to the ever-increasing consumer society we live in, the idea of the last person being the winner is completely nonsensical. We are fed the idea that in order to be the best, you have to have the grandest house, the fastest car, the most money, the latest phone that can take 17,563 underwater 4K photos. And I did not realize there was that many selfie angles. Now, I'm sure we've all had the feeling of when we bought something new and we're over the moon about it. But lo and behold, the people next door get the new things, the exact same things as us, but it's the latest model with greater features. And therefore the shine's got taken off of this, that we no longer enjoy this product that we were so happy with moments ago because we've compared ourselves to somebody else. And comparison robs us of our happiness. And what it does is it removes the community we're trying to build around us and instead puts a distance between us. And this is not what a healthy community looks like. Now comparison is not a new thing that only came about in the last 20 years as the monster that is social media emerged from its cave. Thousands of years ago, people who didn't have the whole world available to them on a 6.1 inch touchscreen wanted to know how they were doing when pitted against their fellow humans. Now, before we dive into this chunk of Matthew, I want to say that when I was writing this talk, it really did challenge me. It made me question my own lifestyle, maybe question things that I was doing and if I was living out what I'm talking about. Now, in a book I'm currently reading, the author spoke about when he was given a talk and one of his friends came up to him afterwards and said to him, the content may have been good, but I couldn't listen to what you were saying because I know what you are really like. Which made me stop and think about if what I'm talking about is what I'm living out or if I'm just paying lip service. So in pre- preparation for this talk, it's taken me on a journey. It's maybe stop and think about what it is I'm living my life to be like and if I am being honest with myself and if I'm actually living out what I'm saying here or it is just lip service. So anyway, in the section of Matthew that we're working in, 
Chapter 18 opens up with the disciples asking Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now you could somewhat bank on the disciples asking this question quite smugly and expecting Jesus to come back with, well, it's you 12, like you 12 have been with me all this time, therefore you guys are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But it's not the answer Jesus gives. He goes on to say that just to enter the kingdom of heaven, not even to become the greatest, just to enter it, then we need to turn away from our sin and become like little children and humble ourselves. The polar opposite to humility is pride, and pride is a trait that we acquire over time rather than something we are born with, through the means of pitting ourselves against our fellow humans in a game of comparison. When I first moved to Gloucester, I lived with Dan and Emily for four months, and subsequently lived with their two girls, Rosie and Ellie, because they kind of come as a package deal. And in that term, I learned quite a bit about what it's like to be a child and live without pride. The one thing that is the greatest about living with young children is that myself as an adult, even the most trivial bit of knowledge to them is just amazing. And it happened the other day, walking near where I live, I saw a woman pushing a pram with two kids in it, about toddler age, they could converse and understand. And all I heard her say, really tedious comment, she just went, well, no, because cars aren't allowed to turn right all the time. Sometimes they have to go straight on. That's all I heard her say. And I thought, that's what I want. I want to have to explain that to a human. Imagine how fun it must be to have company of two humans to whom you say a sentence like that and they go, you blow my mind. So now Jesus goes on in this chapter to explain how he not only wants people to become humble, but wants us to cut out and remove comparison and pride from our human nature. In verses 7 to 9, Jesus talks about cutting off our hands and feet and gouging out our eyes if they cause us to sin. Now, Jesus is not saying that self-mutilation is the way to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he's using it as a metaphorical tool to paint a picture. Jesus is saying to remove our need to compare and remove pride from our human nature by cutting it out, and therefore the only option is humility, and that is how we enter the kingdom of heaven. Later in the book of Matthew, in chapter 19, verse 16, a man asks Jesus, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus tells the man to sell all his possessions and give them to the poor. The man goes away sad because we're told he had many possessions. Jesus was saying to the man that the treasures and things of worth that he'd built up on this earth, which gave him perceived status and the illusion of being great, all counted as nothing in a bid to enter God's kingdom. Jesus goes on, to explain this in verse 30 telling us many who are the greatest now will be the least important then that's in God's kingdom and those who are least important now will be the greatest then Jesus also tells us in this chapter that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven now the image of a camel trying to get through the eye of a needle is somewhat comical and absurd But what's more amusing is a picture of someone to try and get themselves through the eye of a needle. And once they have succeeded, they turn around to try and then drag their house, their car, and the rest of their possessions through this very same eye of a needle, which they've struggled to get through in the first place, which seems a bit like an exercise in futility. So Jesus is saying that those who are elevated in this life will be seen as the lowest in the kingdom. The elevation of people we see in the modern day and age is rooted in comparison and pride. People boast and build a whole world around themselves in an attempt to be seen as great in the comparison against anybody else. Pride places us on a throne we have fabricated for our own egos. 
Jesus' explanation of what the kingdom of God looks like is completely upside down, back to front, the wrong side up, when pitted against what the world considers to be great. To echo chapter 18 again, Jesus wants us to remove comparison pride from ourselves and replace it with humility. Because humility is throwing off our sense of entitlement and realising that we are owed nothing, but we owe God everything. Paul, the super church planter guy, summarises this in Romans 12, 3 by saying, Don't think yourselves as greater than you really are. Be honest in the evaluation of yourselves. And also in Philippians 2, 4, he says, Don't look out for your own selfish interests, but take an interest in others. And if we are to boast in anything, we're told in Galatians 6, 14, that we are not to boast in anything except for the cross of Jesus Christ. The community that Jesus wants to build is one where comparison and pride are not present. Where we are not placing ourselves above others in a futile, trivial comparison that causes division, but rather looking out for others before ourselves so that the community is inclusive and non-hostile. All comparison achieves is division and hostility. And back in Matthew 12, Jesus explains that any house divided is doomed. That may sound familiar to you, because this is one of the quotes that former US President Abraham Lincoln used in one of his many speeches. So pride goes hand in hand with comparison. In order for us to be seen as greater than others, then we have to be compared to them so that we can be seen to have the most money, the better haircut, the newest trainers, the fanciest gadget, the most picture-perfect family. Comparison shifts our focus from being thankful for what we have been blessed with to either being ungrateful because we don't have something or putting other people down because they don't have something or they do have something and we want them to feel like the thing they've got is not worth by belittling them. In chapter 20, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven like a vineyard owner who goes out at different times throughout the day to hire workers. Some start in the morning, others at lunch, some in the afternoon and some an hour or so before clocking off time. When it comes to being paid for the day's work, the owner of the vineyard pays the workers who came last in the day first and the first who came in the day last. And what else he does is he pays every worker the same wage. Now, that seems a bit odd, but he pays the people who work for an hour the exact same wage as those who worked a full day. And the workers who worked the full day start kicking up a fuss about this perceived injustice. Now, I don't know about you, but I can see where the workers' frustrations are coming from. And in all honesty, I think I'd be pretty miffed also if I'd been the worker that had been there all day and these people rock up for an hour and they get paid the same as me. So the workers start striking about this and the owner shuts them down saying, this is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Now in this parable, the workers represent us and the owner represents God. The parable has so many dynamics, but the one I want to focus on is comparison. In this story, the workers who worked the full day get what they worked for, a full day's wage, which they had agreed to do. Which way, they, they were more than happy to accept this at the start of the day, but as soon as they start comparing themselves to the other workers who get the same pay as them for less time worked, their payment no longer seems good enough. The workers then go on to try and elevate themselves to prove that they are better than the ones who work less. They start saying, 
Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. Pride has made them ungrateful and shifted the focus of the work from being about harvesting the grapes in the vineyard and turned it into a competition of who worked the hardest, the longest, and in the most heat. Comparison has robbed the joy of the wage they received and pride has made the situation a me-focused situation rather than it being about the bigger picture, about the idea of harvesting. Rather than just being thankful for what they were able to work that day and therefore got paid in order to buy food, clothing and other essentials, the community Jesus wants to build is one where the vineyard workers are happy that there are more people there to help with the work. A community that takes joy in the fact that the landowner is so generous that more people have been blessed with a full day's wage so they too can afford to buy food, clothes and other essentials. I'm sure throughout your life you've had to do some jobs that just did not hold your interest and you would rather be doing something else. When I was at university, I was asked to help with the renovation of an old community building and the job I was given was to open up a previously bricked up fireplace. Yes, it did involve me swinging a sledgehammer at some bricks, and I, but I did it for a full day, and this got pretty boring very quickly. The novelty of swinging that sledgehammer wore off very quickly. But thankfully, I had one of my best mates with me, and instead of seeing this job as something boring, we found it fun. We took it in turns swinging the sledgehammer, shouting encouragement at each other, laughing when we didn't make any contact with the bricks, and enjoying the fact that we had turned a monotonous task into something enjoyable, because we had something, somebody else with us working alongside us to achieve a common goal. Having people around that are there to help encourage and build each other up, rather than knock each other down in a game of one-upmanship, is healthier than a community where each member is self-serving. It builds a community rather than knocking it down. It brings a community together rather than pulling it apart. And this all starts from a place of humility. So who therefore is the greatest in the kingdom? Well, the answer is the most humble. And Jesus performed the greatest act of humility. Back in Philippians 2, which echoes Matthew 20 28, we're told that though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave. Jesus chose to humble himself so much that he went from the position of the highest of highs to the lowest possible perceived position in society at the time. If ever there was a textbook example of what humility looks like, Jesus did it. Jesus did the polar opposite of what we want to do in our modern day. We want to go from rags to riches, whereas Jesus went from royalty to rags. How therefore do we follow Jesus' example and teaching and drop away our comparison and pride and exchange it for humility? An easy way to start is to look outwards, not inwards. Always remember the back camera on any phone will take better quality photos than any selfie camera ever could. We start to think, ask ourselves, what do they want instead of what do I want? We will start to think about others more and move away from self-centeredness. Um, we need to begin wanting to see others in our lives succeed and celebrate those victories with them. In Matthew 18, we heard the story of a lost sheep where a farmer leaves his flock of 99 sheep in search of the one that wandered. In Luke's account of this, when um, it develops to say that further, that the farmer returned and he gathered his friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. 
If we were this farmer's friends or neighbours, we would have a choice. We could either respond with, why should I celebrate? This lost sheep is not my lost sheep, so therefore it's not my victory. Or we could recognise the joy in our friends slash neighbour, and when we they celebrate, we celebrate with them. And if this last year has taught us anything, a party without friends and family just doesn't measure up to one when we're celebrating with them gathered around us. So throw off the one-upmanship mentality and stop acting like they found a lost sheep while I found two lost sheep, but you don't hear me bragging about it. We need to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses because we'll always just be doing that, trying to keep up but never catching up. It's been found that following someone winning the lottery, the neighbours of the winners are more likely to file for bankruptcy in the months and years to follow. This is because they're more likely to take financial risks in order to keep up with the new purchases that their lottery winning neighbours have undertook. Pride is self-serving and can lead to self-destruction at the expense of having perceived greatness. My final point before we pray and we're led into worship is true humility is leaving a legacy which brings God so much glory that your name doesn't get mentioned. An example of this is in Matthew 26, when a woman anoints Jesus' head with perfume. At the end of this story, Jesus tells his disciples, whatever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And it has been. This act of worship that brought glory to God has been written down and spread across the globe for over 2,000 years, but the name of the woman that did it is never mentioned. That's because true humility is leaving a legacy which brings God so much glory that your name doesn't get mentioned. Now, as I said at the start of this talk, writing and bringing this together challenged me throughout. It made me ask questions of my own life and character and it was tough to admit and discover parts of me that were wrapped up in comparison and pride. Even now, I know there are aspects of me that are still prideful, self-centred and live for one-upmanship mentality. But what we can all take heart from is that we recognise and ask God to reveal aspects of our lives that are rooted in pridefulness, then God will. And with any problem or addiction or anything that we're challenged with, the first step to quitting is admitting. And as we lead into a time of prayer, we need to remember that a change from pridefulness to humility may not happen overnight, and most likely won't happen in all aspects of our lives in one go. But something to remember is that when it comes to improving ourselves and cutting out toxic mentalities and aspects of our character to replace them with God's character, is that we are works in progress, and God will never stop working to improve us if we allow it. If we begin to look outwards more, then we will build a community that is outward focused. If every member of a community is interested in the well-being and success of those around them, then the community will only go from strength to strength. If we apply this to our city, if every member of the city was outward focused and looked out for everyone else's interests, then people wouldn't go hungry, people wouldn't go to bed without a roof over their head. People would always have someone to comfort them when they are struggling and people would have people around them to celebrate their victories with them. 
A community that has cut out self-serving natures, outlined in Galatians 5, 19-21, and replaces them with outward-focused fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a community that means every person feels valued, and we no longer live in a world overrun by war, famine, loneliness, inequality, homelessness, and oppression. Jesus wants to build a community where everyone is equal and the only person on a throne is Jesus himself, the only one worthy of praise. Father God, thank you for performing the greatest act of humility, for choosing to step down from your place of greatness to the place of a slave to serve your people and not be served. Thank you for showing us how to lead a life of humility and what it truly takes to step away from a life of comparison, pride and self-centeredness into a life that is outward-looking and humble. We pray that you can help us to become better versions of ourselves by teaching us how to be humble. Reveal to us in ourselves the areas of our lives where comparison and pride has taken hold and has placed us upon a fake throne of greatness of our own fabrication. Help us to want to not only step away from pridefulness, but completely cut it out and throw it away. To be more outward focused and to recognise the need in others. To want to build a community here in your city that is focused on other people's needs and that it will overspill into the world around us so that your kingdom can come and your will is done here as it is in heaven. Amen. Okay, that's all for this week. I hope that blessed you and that you found it helpful. If you've enjoyed this message, please share it with a friend. Or if you'd like to join in with what we're doing here in Gloucester, you can join us at one of our Sunday gatherings online. All of the details you need are on our website. It's gloucestervineyard.org.